Peach Pundit the Podcast is a conversation filled with the personal opinions of the people who are participating. Any view or opinion expressed belongs only to the person who expressed it and not with anyone with whom that person is professionally affiliated. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back for another exciting episode of Peach Pundit, the podcast. My name is Scott Turner. I am joined this evening by my co-host, Buzz Brockway. How you doing, Buzz? I'm doing all right, sir. How you doing? We are pieless this evening. Yes. I guess Pi spent the week last week here in Georgia, and it wore him out. So he is well, home resting, trying to recuperate from... I guess the travels. I mean, how, what would beat you up? Too much, too much Waffle House. I mean, <laughs> I mean possibly. I don't know. I, well, I don't know that that. I mean, you can get beat up in a Waffle House. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I think, think he's Waffle probably House food. Can I think do he's. That to you. I think what he's really doing is rewriting the musical accompaniment to Taylor Swift songs. That's what yeah, I think he's that's doing. That's probably yeah. I mean, that will that'll wear you out. Yeah, I mean, it would wear me out, but apparently he this is his new hobby. He's taking... You should just shake it off and come on, come on. It back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it definitely should shake it off. At any <laughs> that's, rate, welcome... That's the extent of my knowledge of the Taylor Swift catalog, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of puns in there. We're going to let it go because I don't want to let everybody know how much of her catalog I happen to know. <laughs> so we're going to move on. Rapidly, we're going to start out by doing a live read for one of our sponsors, and this is Lee Six Media. And we want to apologize to Lee Six Media because I was listening to the podcast last week, and you boys did did Lee Six Media no favors by talking about some pretty heavy stuff and then doing his live read. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, anyway. It wasn't intentional. It was just like, oh, oh my gosh, we got to we got to get this in. <laughs> yeah, you guys got lost in the conversation. Scott's not here We're... to guide us properly through the agenda. <laughs> Well, Jason does. Yeah, you guys. Wow, it was. It was off the rails. If you haven't listened to last week's, I wasn't here. So go back and listen to it if you haven't heard it, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But our friends at Lisix Media are a partner level Patreon. Lisix Media is a a firm that can help you win an election. Right now, you might be thinking, you might be looking at the world, looking at your state and your community, and you're thinking, I wish I could do something more. And maybe the thought has entered your mind that you want to run for office. Stop. Take a breath, pick up the phone, and call our friends at lee6media.com. Check them out their website, lee6media.com, L-E-S-I-X media.com. And talk to professionals who have been there before and can teach you how to maximize what you have in resources, dollars, time, volunteers, and maximize the output so that you can win your campaign. Thank you to our friends at lee6media.com for being a partner-level Patreon. And boy, howdy, do we have... An agenda tonight, Buzz. <laughs> um, Stuff keeps happening. Yeah, and we're going to ease into it. You know, we're we're going into the the, the kitty side of the pool here. We're going <laughs> to just really just kind of ease in because Brian Kemp had an interesting tweet today that caught my eye, and you know we're very proud of our AAA bond rating here in Georgia, right? And, you, know, you and I, when mm-hmm. we were in the legislature, it was constantly preached. This is something that we should be screaming from the mountaintops and telling people. Georgia has a AAA bond rating, which means that when we borrow money for our bond projects, that we pay less interest on them and they're more affordable because of the fiscal management of the state. We, do, we, are, we are well run when it comes to handling our money mm-hmm. as a state. Well, a 
a rate, credit rating or bond rating agency has decided that the United States government is no longer a AAA bond status. They've lowered Fitch is one of yes. these rating companies. They've they've lowered the United States from a AAA to a AA plus. What does that mean? <laughs> well, it costs more money to borrow. And whenever this kicks in, they, the the looking at the article it says the the agency rating agency pointed to America's quote erosion of governance end quote rising definite deficits and tightening by the Federal Reserve. Uh, they also expect the our economy to slip into a mild recession. So, I mean, I think you know you can't keep spending at these insane levels and having these massive deficits that we run every year. I mean, right. it's not it's not just Biden's fault, Trump's fault. I mean, going on back decades. You know, well, the last time we had a balanced budget in this country was when Newt Gingrich and, and Bill Clinton locked horns and we had a balanced budget since since then. And we've had run deficits since not massive, massive deficits. And eventually that's going to catch up to you. And now it is. And it's kind of, you know, it could really hurt because now it costs more money to cost more money to borrow money, and because we we're borrowed con- so much, right? We're going to continue borrowing, right? So you know, I know you, the, Janet Yellen was pushing back and say this isn't fair. Well, get our fisc- get you know at least make some sort of attempt to get your fiscal house in order, right? This is a direct result of the evaluation of our currency. I mean, mm-hmm. that's really what it is. I mean, inflation has gotten so out of hand things cost so incredibly much and the dollar's not worth as much as it used to be and yeah. it's a direct relationship to that and so brian kemp's take on this i thought was interesting on his twitter feed he said yes this downgrade is a direct result of joe biden's disastrous economic policies not something that would be unheard of for a republican governor to say about a sitting democrat president right. but then he goes on to make this very astute point thanks to responsible conservative leadership over the last two decades Georgia's AAA rating is now higher than the nation's. So Georgia can borrow more money more effectively and cheaper cheaper than the United States government can. Right. And, and of course, what, Scott, we, we've talked about it before. With There are limits to how much uh, Georgia can borrow built right. into our budget. There are There's limits to how much debt service can be in a budget in any given year. So that forces the state of Georgia, you know, we're required to have a balanced budget, unlike the feds, you know, so it forces, mm-hmm. forces people to make hard choices. And, you know, there's weeping and, and gnashing and, of teeth from time to time when that happens. But we have a AAA generally bond rating. When Georgia borrows money. It's for big capital projects like roads and bridges and things like that. Yeah. They, and they borrow against future tax revenues in the form of these bonds. And. There was a time not too long ago when interest rates were so low, it was actually cheaper to borrow the money because inflation was outpacing the interest rate so so rapidly. It was right. cheaper to borrow the money and build the project and then pay it off with money that you get later. Right. Um, and and so that has been working for Georgia. And Governor Kemp made that took – a, took a shot at the president <laughs> um, as, as would, would, would be expected, but – Yes. I, I felt like I was on fire in the if you're not a Patreon <laughs> at the ten dollar level specifically, you are missing out on the weekly agenda because I, I'm all full of snark when it comes to <laughs> picking these topics. And Indeed. the next topic, the headline is Jack Smith Trump's Fannie Willis 
<laughs> with all kinds of Georgia parallels. <laughs> and I'm really proud of that. I don't know why I'm so proud of that headline, <laughs> but I am. You know, Jack Smith trumps Fannie Willis. Oh, Where's boy. Where's our rim shot? Yeah, yeah. Dad joke. <laughs> Dad joke. The former president mm-hmm. can't seem to avoid the inside of a courtroom these days, <laughs> man. And, yeah. and so t- bring us up to date. What's happening here? Well, Jack Smith, of course, the the federal special prosecutor who brought the documents case against Trump, now brings this case related to the January 6th attacks and the efforts to overturn the 2020, you know, overturn the 2020 election. So he charged the president, a former president, the other, just what yesterday or the day before. With, with four things, committed, com, conspiracy to defraud the United States, com, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, conspiracy of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, and conspiracy against rights. And it's, I mean, it's interesting, I've seen different reactions. You know, some people, of course, it, and it, some people, some, you know, immediately retreat to their priors oh, this is the case that's finally going to nail Trump. This is what we've been dreaming of. Others, it's, oh, this is yet another sign of the Department of Justice gone mad. But some some have looked at it and thought, well, this this is, you know, one, one, one attorney I read was, and I'm sorry, I forget who it was who said this, was saying that essentially, you know, the key to this rests on what was Trump's state of mind? Did Trump believe right. that he he was that the election really was stolen? There there are some people who say no, he didn't really believe that, and there were others who were you know saying no, Trump never believed that. And but how do you you know can you prove that in court? And if that's really if that attorney's right, and that's really what the case rests on, that's going to be really hard to prove. How do you, how right. do you prove what was in Trump's mind? as he was putting this pressure on people and doing all these sorts of things that he did. So, yeah, he I mean, he wasn't, notably, he wasn't charged with inciting things with his speech on January 6th to the crowds assembled there. It's sort of lead, all the stuff leading up to it and the pressure put on Raffensperger and Kemp and, you know, all sorts of people all over the place. So in the so, indictment, he he mentions George, the the indictment mentions Georgia over fifty times. Yeah, and <laughs> there, there was know. a lot of pressure brought to bear on Georgia. Right. Well, there was <laughs> right. I mean, there were the, obviously the infamous phone call that mm-hmm. we've all heard the recording of between Brad Raffensperger and the president and and Brad Raffensperger's staff, where the president has said, you know, you need to find me eleven thousand seven hundred eighty votes. Right. And I mean, we've all heard that. But the the interesting thing for me, I'm not an attorney, right? I know that Jason has used the phrase mens rea, which is criminal intent, uh, right. on this podcast many times. And he's explained that to us, that you have to show criminal intent. Short of there being a, an audio recording of Donald Trump admitting to somebody that he knew that the election was was legitimate, I don't know how any of this stuff stands up because I, I was reading right. through some of, I didn't get to read all of it, but I was reading some of the like Georgia centric parts and in, in it, in the indictment, Jack Smith says that the president lied 
to to Brad Raffensperger in an attempt to coerce him into taking action. Here's the problem with making that that accusation: is did it's only did he lie or was he repeating stuff that he'd heard and believed to be true? Because yeah. if he had a, a grievance. How do you address the grievance without having that phone call, right? If you right. are the president of the United States and you think that Georgia had suitcases full of ballots pulled out, and we know he was told that because the guy who said that said it all over the place. Rudy Giuliani said there were suitcases full of ballots. And right. we know that that was all garbage and it was nonsense, but that was what the president was being told. And he referred to the two election workers in Fulton County that, that were observed pulling those ballot boxes, not suitcases, but ballot boxes out to process legitimate ballots, not stuffing ballot boxes. He referred to them during the call as known hucksters or, or scam artists, and, and which means that he was told that by somebody. Right. And so this, is, this gets to the heart of something that I think is really difficult for people to understand Unless you've actually served in office, I mean, this is why I think it, like you and I having this conversation is important because when you're in office and you're making these decisions, you get conflicting reports. Right. The, you don't get one side of the story. You get two sides, sometimes six sides of a story. Mm-hmm. And you get data and information from across the spectrum that support somebody's agenda. And then you have to, as the elected official, wade through fact and fiction to, to make policy or to make policy-driven dr- decisions. Right. And, and you, know, you point back to, like, COVID as an example. It's like what, at, being in office at the beginning of COVID when we were told the world's going to end or it wasn't going to be that bad. And depending on your agenda, though, you had different competing experts out there. And the moment you decided to go with one, the media would roast you for not following the advice of the other right. experts. <laughs> and so here's the situation with Donald Trump. Did he believe what he was saying? And short of somebody having an audio recording or a video recording of him telling them that he thought that the election was legitimate and that he was just doing this to try and stay in power. I don't know how this indictment sticks. Now, right. all of that to say I'm not voting for the guy. Right. But it puts people like us in a weird position of, of like being objective in looking at this. Like, how do you how, – what was criminal – about having a beef, you know, you have a, a grievance. How do you go about redressing your grievance if you don't have conversations with people in power, if you don't take steps to secure your position? Mm-hmm. And that's what he's being accused of doing in a criminal manner. Like yeah. they're, they're basically criminalizing him trying to get relief from a, a, a perceived wrong. Was it bullshit? Yeah, sure, but did he yes. believe it? <laughs> right, and I think you know you read you know Jonathan Carl's book on Trump called Betrayal. It, there was a clear divide between his campaign people were saying we've lost, and we've explored every every possible remedy, uh, and then here comes Rudy Giuliani and uh, others you know with with people Rudy with people in tow saying no, here's all these other things, uh, and so you know should he. Yeah, should he have believed the truth that the election was not stolen? Of course. And I, I can understand the frustration of a whole lot of people 
you know, especially Brad Raffensperger, you explain these things over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> you investigate the allegations. You you find nothing to them. And, you know, attorney, former Attorney General Bob Barr did the same. I mean, what's his name? Attorney General Barr said the same thing. You know, we, we check this stuff out. There's nothing to it. It's you lost. So lots and lots of people who he should have believed and should have trusted people he hired in, right. in many cases told him no there was there was not enough fraud to overturn you know, to cause Biden to win and yet he believed what he wanted to believe and so that's you know as you said you know it's it's proving his state of mind is going to be very difficult but I think you know there there are others who are saying look this is the trial that we have to have Tom Nichols is out there in, in saying this you know professor of at at West Point saying, yes, this, we have to have this trial because January 6th was so heinous. And I, you know, I'm sympathetic to that because January 6th was horrible. You cannot have supporters of losing candidates storming the Capitol trying to put a stop to the counting of electoral votes. That's horrible. But does, you know, is Trump to blame for that? And that's, you know, in a certain sense, yes. Is he criminally liable for that? That's, you know, that's, I don't know. And that's I don't even. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know that there's a crime here. This may be more of a civil suit, right? Because I mean, yeah. one of the accusations is that he conspired to take the rights away from somebody. That's a civil, yeah, a civil complaint. So I, I don't know. I, all of I mean, this and look, to say, lots, lots of people who did enter the Capitol and storm the Capitol, and some of them mm-hmm. did some really dangerous and stupid things, and are going to jail and have gone to jail and are going to continue to go to jail. You know, is Trump criminally liable for that? I, and then, you know, all right, so if this is the if Tom Nichols is right and this is the trial that we must have in order to get past the stain in January 6th, what happens if he's not convicted? You know, that, that's right. very risky. Right. It's like there's not a lot of evidence on the table at the right. moment. You know, in order to get an indictment, this, I heard one attorney say this, and I forget which one. One of the folks on the Talking Heads shows say, you know, to go to a grand jury to get an indictment, you only have to bring one witness to say that they think that this is what happened. And yeah. the prosecutor may know of 20 other witnesses that would contradict that one, but they're under no obligation to bring the 20. Right. They only have to bring that, that disagree. They only have to bring the one that agrees sure. in front of the grand jury. So there's no there's no obligation to tell the whole story to a grand jury. And so indictments are generally easy to get under the under that. But all that to kind of put it, bring it back into to Georgia. How does this impact Fonnie Willis? How does this impact the Fulton County case? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it kind of strengthens her going after, especially going after the potentially going after the the alternate electors, because as as you mentioned, Scott, that that's Georgia's mentioned in there in there quite a few times, and. You know, Fonnie Willis might decide to go after that, and I think you know, I think there's no restraint on her. I think she's she's going to indict as many people as she possibly can for a whole host of reasons, and I think this just probably helps provide a roadmap for her on how to go about some of those prosecutions. So, yeah, it's been interesting to watch the reactions to this as well. You know, here mm-hmm. in Georgia, it's definitely tribal. If you're on the left, you think. 
this is the thing that's going to do him in finally, which we've heard that, I don't know, 50 million times about <laughs> yes. Donald Trump. This is the, this is the, the last straw. This is the, the, the penultimate moment. This is, this is what's really going to get him. We've heard that so many times. It's, it, the guy's Teflon. So yeah. I, I don't know if this sticks to him either, but not because I'm on the Republican tribe. I'm just trying to call balls and strikes, but you right. have like the left in, in the state. Those, if you're following the political Georgia political Twitter, you can tell who's on the left because they're saying this is, this is <laughs> the doom of Donald Trump. And then on the right, you have people saying, is this all, this is a nothing burger. This is nothing. This is all, this is, you know, they're just, they're criminalizing. But one person's reaction kind of stood out to me <laughs> and that's Congress and Mike Collins. Congress and Mike Collins took to Twitter to call on defunding the Department of Justice. He says that they have they have weaponized the Justice Department to take on their political enemies and that Congress has the power of the purse and they should exercise that power to rein in the DOJ and their political witch hunts. What do you think, Buzz? Is is Mike Collins on the right track? Is he just <laughs> overreacting? Is he is he pandering? These are all fair questions, right? <laughs> sure. I think, I think, well, if, if you believe that Merrick Garland is presiding over a Department of Justice that's hunting down his enemies and covering up the president's, the current president's pals, then, yeah, I, it, you know, this is, might be something that you float out a, a shot across the bow, so to speak of the Department of Justice that, you know, re- reminding him of the, the, the role that Congress plays in, in this whole thing. And I, look, I'm, I'm honestly kind of sympathetic to that idea that, you know, that the plea deal that fell apart uh, with Hunter Biden was, I mean, less than a slap on the wrist for some pretty serious things. And, you know, there's some stuff floating around out there that have proven to be incredibly damaging to Hunter Biden and even to President Joe Biden, but you you got to prove it, and it doesn't you know it doesn't appear that the Department of Justice is too excited about that. Department of Justice, you know, there's other things that people point to that are pretty outrageous. The Department of Justice doesn't seem to have done a whole lot about violence that was committed against pro-life organizations and pregnancy centers, destruction of property, and so on and so forth. Didn't seem too concerned about the protests which are illegal out in front of the homes of, of Supreme Court justices and things like that. So you can paint a narrative, whether it's you know true or not, you know, it, probably in the eyes of the beholder. But but yeah, we can't we can't defund the Department of Justice because we actually need it. We need them to do stuff. Yeah, yeah, and you know. Hauling Merrick Garland before there, before Congress, and using your oversight authority to ask a bunch of questions, I think entirely appropriate and probably should be done. So, but yeah. I, I, you can't, de- you know, you can't defund the Department of Justice. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Look, I, I think there's. It, I asked the question: Is it appropriate? Is it? Is it pandering? I think it's both. <laughs> if that's possible, let me you know, split the line. Yeah, he, he, he calls the January 6th participants protesters. I don't yeah. think – I think it was more than a protest, Congressman. Yeah. I, I just do. And if you've seen the video, and I think you may have seen <laughs> yeah. the videos – of that day, you know, that was not a protest. That was a, an attempt at violent overthrow. There were individuals who believed 
that when they mm-hmm. got into the congressional chamber, they could kick out the members and become the third continental Congress. I'm not making this up. They actually thought this. That's not a, that's not a protest. You know, yeah. protest is, is having your voice heard. Taking actions to actually overthrow the government is something in a different category. Yep. So call them what they are. It's okay. You know, I, I know you're you're in the Republican tribe. I'm with you in, in the Republican tribe, but I don't see it the way you do. Is they're not protesters. They're more than that. And right. so be careful with that language. It's it it's just anyway. I am doing exactly to AFP what we did to Lease Expedia last week. We're going from a heavy <laughs> a heavy topic into reading the live read for our our friends over at Americans Prosperity who are also a partner level Patreon. Which means that they get this little shout out that, you know, that, that, and I'm going to read from their website. The right policies are essential to helping our country achieve its full potential. That's why Americans for Prosperity fights for the issues you care about, to pass the policies that benefit your community and expand freedom and opportunity for all. AFP's policy roadmap, Pathway to Prosperity, lays out several key priorities that will help unlock America's potential. To learn more about Americans for Prosperity and how you can get involved in their training and become one of their activists, you can go to georgiapathway.com and go straight to the Americans for Prosperity Georgia website. Thank you to our friends at Americans for Prosperity for being a partner-level Patreon. So, I'm excited to announce that Eric Erickson's The Gathering will include all kinds of media-credentialed folks showing up including Peach Pundit, the podcast hosts, as credentialed media. Congratulations, Buzz. You, you are credentialed media for the, the gathering. Yes, thanks. I've, I've yeah, been the, credentialed media before, The the way back when. Two, I might have the, 2012, maybe? Yeah, that was when Romney was nominated for president. I was a, I was a, a blogger with the press credentials for the, uh, the, R, the Republican National Convention, so... But this yes. will be pretty cool, and thanks, Eric, for 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 let, making this happen and letting this happen. Yeah, so Eric Erickson every so often has one of these gatherings. I don't know if they're annual, right? I've always I wanted to go to one. He's done It's been a couple years, but back in the Red State days, it became an annual thing. And then when he moved away from Red State as his talk radio show grew, he, he did it a, at least once or twice through that. So yeah, but I'm glad to see him doing it again because it's I've been once and it's it's a, it was good. So we have on the agenda. I mean, the, he's got a lot of the big names coming in, right? He's got Senator Tim Scott, Governor Kemp will be there, Vice President Pence, Governor DeSantis will be there, the Ruthless Podcast folks will be yes. there. <laughs> I know that some of our can, listeners enjoy the Ruthless Podcast. We can lay eyes on comfortably smug, right? We, we may not know wondered. we are, but we 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 will be doing so. <laughs> Ken Cuccinelli, who I got to meet when I was in D.C. a couple months ago, will be there. Kelly Leffler. Cole Musio. Wow, boy, you've gotten far. Yes. You'd be on the same schedule as all these folks. Good for you, brother. Ambassador Nikki Haley, Governor Christie, Congressman Walker, Mr. Will Hild, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy will yeah. be there. Of course, our friends American Prosperity for Prosperity will have a, a panel, and Grover Norquist, Congressman McCormick, all kinds of folks. T- Senator Tom Cotton, Senator Journey er- Jody Ernst, and Governor Glenn Youngkin. Which all of that to say, you notice that Pi is not included 
<laughs> I think he would rather go sit for a whole body tattoo and get needled <laughs> all at once than go to this type of gathering. But well, he I'm excited at, about the, it. The one I attended, which I think was the last one that Eric did, was 20, 20, uh, it was in the lead up of the, so I think it was late 2015. So, uh, and Eric, that was where Eric famously disinvited Trump after Trump said all yeah. sorts of nasty things about Megyn Kelly. Well, you will notice the P- one Pi was there. Not... Pi was there oh, at that okay. event. Yes. Oh, good, good. Well, you will notice that the one name I did not mention as attending is Donald Trump. And that's because Eric Erickson did not invite him to come and if he did i don't think trump would come anyway but decided to not invite him from the get so excited about that if uh yeah. i don't know if they're sold i think that might be sold out but if they're not sold out go check them out yeah. buy a ticket go to this thing because i think it is it, yeah i think it is sold out and yeah. okay and it's i mean well the i mean a funny story is i uh, uh, I might be doing a similar thing today. What I was in the legislature when this happened last time, and I got invited to all sorts of meetings. And so I was more or less kind of speed dating the presidential candidates to try to figure out who I wanted to support. And I ended up falling in love with, with, with Marco Rubio at the time. So maybe as, as Scott, you and I as powerful, influential members of the media now, maybe we can do a similar thing, kind of speed date through all the non-Trump candidates who will be there and see who we like. Yeah, I mean, there. I, I, I don't know. I'm. I, I think I'm just going to hold my powder until <laughs> I find out who's in second place. I, I want to be in love. I do. I want to be in love. I do too. But I mean, like I've been in love in the past, and Is I've that so been wrong burned to want to be in love. I've, I've, but I, you know, everybody I've ever fallen in love with has not made it in this environment, and so well, that's true. I, I, I wonder if it's me, right? And I was like, it's not you, it's me. I supported you, therefore you have to lose. That's just the way. There it was is. a. I got a, many years ago. I got super excited about Tim Pawlenty. Yeah, I know. And wow, <laughs> you said that out loud. I did say that out loud, and I was wow. Gonna, I was gonna endorse him. <laughs> and I and I thought, all right, I'm, like I'm gonna. I woke up in the one. morning and I thought, I'm gonna endorse him. And that day, he dropped out of the race. And then, see, this is what I'm talking about. Herman Cain had a surge. And I said, I love Herman. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna endorse. And then this, you know, that afternoon, literally, Gloria Allred announced she's holding a press conference. So that was the end of that. And then, you know, so yeah, my my track record is. And of course, I was I jumped in early with uh, Marco Rubio and. You know, that didn't yeah. end that didn't end to success either. So, John Peasold and I were both in the house, and we we went up to Louisville, Kentucky, for the kickoff. We were on stage with Rand Paul, and we were supposed to be part of his committee here in Georgia. That they, I could never get them to meet. I could never get them to fund a table at the convention i mean it's like, <laughs> it's like some of his volunteers came out of money out of their own pocket to fund the table they were just no energy at all in yeah. that campaign beyond the kickoff the kickoff was super exciting it was a yeah. massive facility it was filled to the brim we were on the stage behind him it like you could just feel the energy it's like this is going someplace and then by the time he showed up in South Carolina. He was like, I don't really know if I want to do this anymore. <laughs> it's a weird thing, man. It really is. I mean, like, 
not to pick on Ron DeSantis, but on paper, and he looked like a fantastic candidate. He did great in Florida. He, you know, he's got gazillions of dollars, and he's, you know. He's just never pivoted out of Florida, right? I mean, yeah. you've got to, to win a presidential nomination to run a national campaign. You've got to talk to people about how you're going to make their life better yeah. than it is right now, and saying, "Well, just look at Florida, isn't it?" Right? Yeah, because right, because yeah, you can't say. Uh, you know, we talked about it a couple weeks back with with the Bullfinch guys that, yeah, saying "Make America Florida," not everybody wants to live in Florida. Right. People in Iowa and Wisconsin and. Idaho kind of like their states. Why can't I just live here? You know, <laughs> right? But you know, so the the presidential season is in full swing, and this is an opportunity to get to know some of the candidates. And some of the candidates that are running for other offices want us to know that they're running for office already. And so we received word this week through, I guess, Greg Bluestein over at the AJC. So we're going to be real yes. careful about making sure we give credit to the AJC <laughs> whenever possible. And that's a shot at you, Bill Torpy. Um, you know, we, we saw the first report come out of Greg Bluestein's Twitter, uh, mm-hmm. one of the political reporters of the AJC, where he, he says that several Republican activists are being told directly from Chris Carr that he's planning on running for governor when Brian, term, when Brian Kemp's term ends in 26. What do you think? Why, Buzz? Why is this happening now? Why would... <laughs> why would Chris Carr start floating his name at this very moment. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's not a surprise. I mean, I don't think anybody's surprised that Chris Carr would run for governor. But mm-hmm. I think you know, uh, Clyde had an interesting theory that essentially, if I could paraphrase it, essentially Chris Carr is trying to get out there ahead of Fonnie Willis's indictments because, you know. Burt Jones' name may be mentioned. I don't know. I don't, I don't think. I don't. Correct me. If I, I don't think that Fonnie Willis can indict. You know, could bring an indictment against Burt Jones, right? Somebody yeah, else is going to have to. But yeah, she isn't prohibited from investigating, according to you know reading reading through Clyde's article, linked to a, another a news media article. It's interesting. You know, we have this. We have this contributor, Clyde Edwards, who from time to time post things and i get a call almost immediately after doing the the tweet of the article <laughs> it's because right now i have to do the tweets manually our our automated system that posts the articles from the blog onto twitter is broken so i have to do it manually and so i'm talking within 10 minutes of me taking clyde's article which had been published all morning and posting it like that afternoon uh, onto Twitter so that there, we can get our, our cross-pollination traffic, uh, if you will. I get a call from Attorney General Carr's office informing me that Clyde's article referencing an 11 Alive article is incorrect. Like, <laughs> the 11 Alive article is wrong. So we had to go back and correct the record and make sure that people understood how it plays. If you're interested in this article, you can find it on Peach Pundit, the blog, peachpundit.com. And you can read for yourself what the, the theory there is. And, and so the theory is this, you know, that Fonnie Willis is close to giving us this indictment, the public. Mm-hmm. 
And she, you know, we've seen barricades being put up around the Fulton County yeah. Courthouse. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it it all is like this rising tide of tension and anticipation. It's coming. It's imminent. And because it's imminent and it could happen at any time, you know, the, the, Clyde's thought is, why not float it now so that if one of my potential opponents, that being Burt Jones, is actually included in the indictments, then I my name was out there bef- ahead of that. Mm-hmm. Right. Essentially, yeah. That's that's the gist. So that's a that's a take. Um, <laughs> I, I I'm not surprised Chris Carr wants to run for governor. I've always right. thought he would do that eventually. Yeah. Um, the the timing of it is though. I mean, when when is the right time to start talking about it? Right. If not now, then when? Yeah. But we know that Burt Jones is running for governor. Like mm-hmm. we know that for a fact. That that's yeah. just you know. We also know that there's been a lot of talk of Brad Raffensperger running for for governor as well. Right. And so that you, it, on the Republican side, you have those three mm-hmm. statewide elected officials right now. And I think other names that have been floated out, well not, I mean, not officially, but you know, people speculating that they might consider running. And we've, we've mentioned their names too. Buddy, Buddy Carter is one that people are kind of floating their name out. And Kelly Leffler are ones that, that kind of names get floated out. But they're not so, actually telling activists. No, they're not telling activists, <laughs> right. That they're in. Right. I mean, I guess Kelly Leffler has the advantage that she doesn't need to tell anybody except her husband that, oh, by the way, I'm about to cut a check for X dollars to launch my campaign for governor. Others right. have to raise money. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Uh, yeah, I'm going to write myself a $100 million check. And yeah. Go. It's only a small portion of our, you know, right. of our fortune. <laughs> But then, so, of course, it, it, then it, you know that it, you know then dominoes start falling, right? Because now Chris Chris Carr is going to run, so people are going to be making moves to line up to seek his old office. So, yeah, uh, this is where, like, if I was Josh McCoon, I wouldn't have wanted to be chair of the GOP because I think Josh <laughs> yeah. McCoon would yeah, reason number uh, eight hundred and thirty-two why Josh McCoon <laughs> probably didn't want to be chair of the GOP. He could have run for this. So. Yeah, well, you know, he, he could have run back in the day, but he chose to run for Secretary of State instead. Yeah. And, and now he's chairman of the state GOP and putting up websites to beg for money so that they can have <laughs> enough funds to pay for legal defense of yes. the former chair. <sighs> yeah, that was a shot. Um, oh, boy. Uh, Buzz, speaking of prosecuting attorneys, this year, we've seen this one particular district attorney's office out in Athens, Clark County, just fall to crap. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, she's she's lost murder cases on technicalities. She's failed to take cases in front of a grand jury like she was supposed to to bring charges. So cases have been tossed with prejudice, meaning people who were likely guilty of murder never even saw the inside of a courtroom mm-hmm. to get, you know, they, they had their charges dismissed and cannot be charged further. And so... We've seen a just monumental ineptitude out of that particular office. Mm-hmm. In the people who have been driving this uh, accountability effort for for district attorneys around the state uh, have direct relationships with that office, right? So you, people like Houston Gaines, Representative Houston Gaines in Athens, 
has a direct relationship because he represents the area. He represents the people who are directly impacted by the inability of this DA to do the job. Right. She doesn't have she's not able to manage staff and keep them on. She complains that they don't have enough money to pay prosecutors, even though DAs around the state are facing the same types of of financial restraints and they're not having the challenges that she has in there in Athens. And, and so the legislature decided to do something about it. They created a council that would have some sort of oversight and would be able to remove district attorneys from office who are unable to do the job or unwilling mm-hmm. to do the job or take the path of saying, I, I know I recognize what the law is, but I'm just not going to prosecute certain types of cases, mm-hmm. which it flies in the face of, of the legislative branch of government with, you know, you are essentially making the law at that point yeah, or unmaking the law. And that's not your, you're not in your purview as a DA. You don't have that authority. All legislative matters belong to the legislature. Mm-hmm. So, so they, they created this law this year, signed in, and, and now you have district attorneys that have, are banding together to sue the state over this. Mm-hmm. They're saying, that this is a, a politically motivated thing related to Fonnie Willis's case. It's they're targeting Fonnie Willis. They're ignoring this Athens DA who can't do her job. They're ignoring the fact that murderers are getting off without being ever even being charged officially. And they're saying this is about Trump and Fonnie Willis. Buzz, is this about Trump and Fonnie Willis, or is it something else going happening here? No, I, I think it's an accumulation of things. You, you mentioned. Our, our former colleague Deborah Gonzalez, who's now the district attorney in Athens Clark County, there was also the district attorney in the Ahmed who, who tried to sweep the Ahmed Arbery case under the under the rug. Yes, that could have been dealt with, and I, I kind of think that's as much, if not more, of a motivation for this than even than, than certainly than Fonnie Willis. Yep, I I don't think that I mean. The lawsuit will be interesting, interesting to watch because it's, you know, it's kind of a, you know, one of the things that the prosecutors are saying is this, this threatens the independence of the of the judiciary system. But we have the the judicial qualification committee, which can remove sitting judges currently for various things. And so I think, you know, what probably needs to happen is. There needs to be further definition of what under what circumstances a a an attorney general can be removed from office, kind of like you have with you know they're they're pretty you know, judges understand <laughs> I do these things and I run the risk of being removed from office by the by the judicial qualification committee so the probably needs to some of those things probably need to be fleshed out but i honestly I'd be shocked. If a judge said, "Yeah, we're going to throw this out. This law's unconstitutional," but you know that's why we have lawyers and that's why we have judges. They'll they'll sort that out. But yeah, I don't so, think, and and I don't. And certainly, I, I think it's ridiculous, honestly, to say this that that Brian Kemp, who really can't stand Donald Trump, and you know, signed this bill just to get at Fonnie Willis. Nah. <laughs> so, so it was interesting. Again, Bluestein has a tweet on this. He, he has a quote from there are four DAs mm-hmm. that have banded together. One of them is a Republican DA. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Jonathan Adams. And he has this quote, which I find fascinating. Quote, today, 
we may have conservatives and Republicans in the governor's mansion and the legislature, but in five or ten years, we may not. And what kind of laws may be passed then that may not be best suit small rural communities? End quote. Dude, you're admitting the problem in this quote. Like, uh, like D.A. Adams, what you've just admitted to in, in the court of public opinion is that you are trying to – you need the ability to ignore the law. Yeah, you're right. The Democrats may run this state one day. And if they make the law, it's the law. And it's your job to prosecute crimes committed under that law. If it's not right for Georgia – the voters have to change back to Republican leadership then, if that's the case. You don't you are not the legislature. Yeah. That's not you are in the judicial branch. You get to you get to prosecute people under the law. You don't get to choose which law is law and which law isn't law. That's not your job. Right. And and so you in this quote, defending the lawsuit and justifying the lawsuit. And justifying your position are admitting to the legislature why it's necessary for this law to be in place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, is there? I, am I wrong? I mean, do, no. does he not see the connection to what he's no. saying and and why they feel like they have to take action? No, you're, you're not wrong. And and that was he may not have intended it to sound that way, but that's sure how it how it comes off. <laughs> and then Chris Carr did respond via Twitter. On Chris Carr's own Twitter feed, he says, I have great respect for the important role DAs play in protecting Georgia citizens. Unfortunately, some DAs have embraced the progressive movement across the nation of refusing to enforce the law. That is a dereliction of duty, and as a result, Georgia communities suffer. Mm-hmm. As Exhibit A, Judge and Jury, C, athens Clark County <laughs> District Attorney Deborah Gonzalez. Uh, yeah. Gee whiz. I mean, yeah, I, I just take this as they don't want to be held accountable. Well, That's my take. Yeah, I mean, look, anytime you're going to impose new requirements on people, they're not going to like it. And so I'm not shocked that the EAs are pushing back, but I would be shocked if a judge tossed this law out. But I've been wrong before, and I'm probably wrong again. Buzz, do us a favor and bring us, bring us home with our last of our, our three partner-level Patreons. Yes, our anonymous supporter of, the, of Peach Punnett, the podcast, has asked us to direct attention to the Alzheimer's Association of America. ALZ.org is where you can find information about that. I stumbled across an article today that talked about how 12% of Georgians suffer from Alzheimer's. That's that's terrible. It's a horrible, horrible disease. Uh, but the Alzheimer's Association is leading research and rallying people to help and assist uh, families who are going through this and and funding research to try to deal with this horrible disease. Uh, So make sure you go to ALZ.org to find out more about the Alzheimer's Association. You can donate to support if you are so inclined to support that cause, a very worthy cause uh, to help people out through and and families deal with this, this terrible disease. And we appreciate the support of our anonymous contributor, and we're happy to point people to ALZ.org. Buzz, something that has long been in the works is finally come online, and that is Plant 3 at Vogel mm-hmm. has finally come online and is producing power billions of dollars over budget. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just wondering if our friend Andy Lord at Georgia Watch 
is is having a, a party or is he crying in his scotch because because this is this has been a, a, a long drawn out process. Yes. But it should produce benefits for us for a long time. So it's we do we pay too much for it? I yeah, I think you can objectively say. And then the way it was organized for funding and the ability of Georgia Power to raise this money in advance on a current ratepayers for power that they weren't using. It's been controversial over the years. Yes, no doubt. And, and so, our, again, I mentioned Andy Lord. He's a lobbyist that works in this space, and he represents a group called Georgia Watch. He's also a Clark Howard-related organization. Mm-hmm. So I wonder where Clark Howard is on this these days and, <laughs> and how Andy's doing. But it's it's sort of exciting to see uh, yeah. I, we're, the first nuclear reactor come online to produce energy for a state in decades yes yeah it is interesting and i i don't i mean i don't know i've had conversations with andy over the years about his complaints were always focused on the funding mechanism right I don't i don't i have i never quizzed him i don't know where he stands on nuclear power but i never heard him really attack that so but yeah it is and I, i'm i'm happy about it i think it's it's i think it's good Nuclear power should be, should you know we, it, it's time to bring it back in America and we it's this is probably the I, may, I don't think I'm wrong, Scott, but I think this is the first new plant since the Three Mile Island incident. Thirty years, yeah, it's way been back, 30 years. way back yeah. when. Yeah. Uh, so that's you know that's a that's a milestone, and that should be you know wh- whether other states no seeing what Georgia Power went through because it wasn't yes there were cost overruns. There were also weird curveballs that were thrown their way with, you know, manufacturers of stuff that they needed going bankrupt. and yeah, all, yeah. Yes, all sorts of stuff happened that, you know, that, that they couldn't foresee uh, that contributed to to that, to the delays and to the cost overruns. And, you know, that. so I, I, I hope that this jump starts, you know, that others around the country start uh, doing the same thing. Um, but... Yeah, you know, with the with the problems they encountered, I uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm a little skeptical of whether this will launch a renaissance of nuclear power, but it, we need nuclear power because you know, and environmentalists should embrace it too. Some do, but uh, a lot of environmentalists vehemently oppose nuclear power when they really shouldn't. Because when you do it right, and the technology has advanced so much, you know, France you know, derives a lot of power from from nuclear power. Other countries do as well. And it's when you do it right, and with the technology that's advanced, it's a clean uh, alternative to coal, and certainly coal. Did the tour? I did. Yes, you did. I did too. I, that was a fascinating. So, as a member really of the legislature, was. the the Georgia Power folks would pick you up one early one morning, and they would drive you out to the plant. Yeah, and then they would, you know, they would allow you to take a tour of the the facility mm-hmm. and and it was very much under construction yes plants three and four were very much under construction when i i toured some eight years ago now yeah they had a, a massive crane out there like yes. the largest freestanding <laughs> crane it was just the entire thing was just a, a marvel the entire time we were there and it, it, what was really fascinating to me is going through the facility where the actual generators are mm-hmm. and how noisy it is because yes. The force of the steam. So essentially, nuclear power is steam power. Right. Right. The the the, the nuclear rods superheat water. That that steam is then piped underground, and when you cross under, over 
that area when you, you can walk over it the rush of the sound is in, i mean <laughs> it's like a it's like it's more than a jet engine yes it is incredibly loud and you can you can just sense the amount of force that's being created to drive these generators that are that are turning and thus producing the electricity it is incredible the the entire experience was it was eye-opening to mm-hmm. me it was something i'd never thought i'd ever experience right and and the amount of security in that place like yes. they have they have <laughs> turrets on the sides of the buildings yep where armed people can go in the event of a some sort of incursion you know that they can shoot people right from from every corner of the building yes from an armored <laughs> box because <laughs> you, right, you can take that material and do bad things with it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the amount of security was incredible. But the, it was also fascinating because the, the control rooms uh, for each reactor are sitting right next to each other. And everything is identical in every way. And, you can t- and so that if one crew needed to work in a different room, everything's exactly where it is no matter what. And so the process is down to a T as yes. well. It's not just the technology. Anyway, it's fascinating. Yep. And k- um, kudos to Georgia Power for sticking with it, and right. to the Public Service Commission for not, you know, pulling the plug on the thing. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, all I know is that right now my power bill is super high because it's hot outside and that yes. AC is running. <laughs> it's running like it's doing the yes. peach tree <laughs> on Fourth of July. It is. It's doing laps around the neighborhood. It's running so much, <laughs> uh, and so whatever you can do to lower my power costs. Especially during I'm these summer months. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I for it, as our friend would say. Am I missing anything, Buzz? You know, obviously, Pi will be back with us next week. Yeah. But should we uh, talk a little baseball or conf- I, uh, college football conference realignment? Or uh, yeah, I, I could talk baseball all day. The, <laughs> you know, the the trade deadline came and went. Mm-hmm. I guess the the I I the Braves made a little bit of moves, right? They they didn't. Yeah, do bullpen too- stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They don't. They didn't need a lot, though. That's right. the thing about you know what was what kind of trade were they going to make to get better when you're already crushing the you hit more home runs <laughs> right. you hit thirty right. more home runs as a team than any other team in Major League Baseball. Yes, and so and they, yeah, right. And they you know they're back to they lost you know right after the All Star break. I guess they lost two straight series, swept by the no they didn't no there was two out of three from the the Diamondbacks, which are a pretty good baseball team out there. Yeah, they are. But yeah, they're back to winning series again, which is what you want to do. Just take two well, out of three. Well, they swept from the Brewers. Swept the Brewers, which helped yeah. helped your helped your team. Yes, they put the Reds back in first. The the Reds can't beat the Brewers for some reason. And what I've become convinced is that every time I watch the Brewers, the Brewers win. I'm like, <laughs> they're good luck charm. And the one game I watched of the Braves and Brewers coming out of the all-star break was the game that they lost and <laughs> and so I, I it's me i'm sorry braves fans it's me i did better and the, i didn't watch a single pitch of the second series coming out of the all-star break when yeah. the brewers came to atlanta i didn't watch a single pitch and you won all three games yes. so thank you and you're welcome all right so they're they're uh the reds and the brew crew, crew playing right now or no 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 or they're done, they, they're done. they don't play each other for the rest of the season okay they're done and the and the Reds only won two of the nine games that they played Ooh. against the Brewers, and yet they're still half game in first place. Yeah. Uh, so if they had just won a few of those games, they'd be comfortably in first place. Right. But they're in Chicago right now, and Chicago has gotten hot. Hopefully, that doesn't come back to bite the Reds. Come. Well, season, you know, but... here's the thing: is this season is it's a magical time because yeah. this was a this was a team that was supposed to, that lost a hundred games last year, right, and was 
was the over under for them to win the, this season was seventy. Yeah. So it wasn't like they were, you know, they, there was a potential for them to lose a hundred games again this year. Yes. So whatever happens at this point is gravy. When we first place on August second, are you kidding me? <laughs> I will take that. And with all these young stars that are going under team control for the next six years, and the, the only thing the Reds did is they went out and got another left-hander for the bullpen, which gives them two. Yeah. It's not a lot, but at least our one left-hander isn't going to be run out there every single day. Right. And so they didn't do a lot. And the reason yep. why they didn't do a lot is the GM, Nick Crawl said, uh, you know, everybody wanted their farm system. They wanted the whole right. thing. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not going to mortgage the future of this team right. for a two- or three-month rental. Now, I do think the deal that Houston made to get Verlander was a good deal, right? Yeah. I mean, they got the number three prospect from mm-hmm. Houston, but they also got $54 million in cash back, and that's a deal the Reds could have made. Mm, the Reds could yeah. have made that deal. I don't know if Verlander would have wanted to go to Cincinnati – but if you're looking at a young team who's going to win this year and next year and yeah. the year after that, if you pick up your option in the third year and then yeah. having the, the cash from the Mets to pay for it, I, I, I think Cincinnati could have made a run of it. <laughs> One of my favorite treats was, tweets about that was that Kate Upton had been traded back to Houston. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> We know the real reason why everybody wants to get Verlander on <laughs> Exactly. And it's not because he wins Cy Young Awards. It's, yeah. L- but, you know, look, L- LOL Mets, I mean, just... <laughs> oh, my gosh. How much money can you spend per loss? <laughs> uh, apparently a lot. And yeah. I, I did... It was funny, though. I Sports talk yesterday was was up in arms over this this guy and one of the stations up in New York, Joe something, was saying, look, the they can he can point to the exact moment that things went down, and it's Charlie Morton's fault. Charlie Morton plunked pete alonzo on the hand and intentionally he's convinced it's intentional and of course charlie morton went to pete alonzo said it wasn't intentional charlie morton went to the mets locker room after the game and said i'm sorry Uh, that wasn't the that you know completely made up by the mets but then of course last night i see the highlight where pete alonzo is trying to track down a ball in foul territory slips and falls and the ball hits him right in the face so if that's, you know, is that Charlie Morton's fault too? I think it's just kind of a metaphor for the Mets season. Yeah. They fall on their butts and the ball hits them right in the head. It's like so. that time that Jose Canseco had a home run bounce off the top of his head <laughs> and over yes. the fence. Yeah, people, it will live for, in infamy forever. <laughs> well, listen, we're going to let our, we're going to let everybody go. Thank you for listening. I want to thank our Patreons who generously give, donate their own money so that we can make this possible. If you too are interested in becoming a patron, you can do so at patreon.com slash peach pundit. If you go over there, you can sign up for any one of our tiers if, and you will have your name mentioned like these people who rock our anonymous contributor, Bill Workheiser, John Vestal, Andy Smith, Bo Brennan, Shannon Ferguson, Tony West, Rob Lee, Colin Martin, Sam Thomas, Ryan Graham, Stuart Wilkinson, Ari Schaefer, Ron Daniels, Mike Buchert, Andy Allen, Hunter Burnett, Reed Powell, Benjamin Hurst. Thank you all for being Patreons to the po- to the podcast. We appreciate you. I, I, we need more of you to sign up, so please do that. At the very least, like and subscribe to this podcast. And do a little review. Let people know. Even if you don't do a full-blown, like, type out some words, hit the five-star. Yeah. Just help us out. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next week. Later.